Would you bow with me for a word of prayer as we begin our time? <clears throat> Father, thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for the opportunity that we can be together and we can be worshiping you through the study of your word. Thank you for loving us in that way and condescending to us in such a way that we would have your word and that you would allow us to understand it. <clears throat> you being an infinite God, we being finite beings, unable without the aid of the Holy Spirit to truly understand what your word tells us and teaches us. And we're grateful for that as we have faith in Christ. So use uh, those instruments that you have given us for our good tonight as we study your word and help us to understand what you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> well, we're returning tonight to our study of Galatians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Galatians chapter 1 as we continue through the apostles' words to the believers in the region known as Galatia. And tonight I want to return to where we left off last Lord's Day. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to focus our attention on verses 6 through 8. But I want to begin our reading tonight from verse 3. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you the gospel, contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Last Lord's Day, when we were studying this text, I made a statement. <clears throat> and I, I want to begin with that statement again as we begin our time tonight. The statement was this. If salvation is all of God and all from God... If justification is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which was according to the will of the Godhead, if all glory belongs to God for saving, then to think or to teach otherwise is to pollute and change the gospel. And if we have a different gospel then we have removed the Christ who saves. Let me say that again, just for our hearing. If salvation is all of God and all from God, and if justification is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which was according to the will of the Godhead, if all glory belongs to God for our saving, then to think or to teach otherwise is to pollute and change the gospel. And if... We have a different gospel than we have removed the Christ who saves. Nothing could be, in fact, for us as 
Christians, nothing should be more shocking, more stunning to us than when we hear or see or encounter someone who professes to know Jesus Christ turning and embracing a different gospel. Our Christian life, as we interact with one another, as we go around from place to place or interact with Christians from conferences and other places, nothing should shock us more than to hear someone professing that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ and yet embracing something that is an aberrant gospel to what the Scriptures teach. This is what shocked the Apostle Paul to the very core of his being in verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You notice that the Apostle Paul makes it very personal, not personal to him, but personal to the one who is deserting the gospel. You are not deserting words. You are not deserting theological uh, frameworks per se. You are deserting him. You are deserting God. You are deserting the very one who calls you to salvation by Jesus Christ if you turn to a different gospel. You are deserting God himself. And that's what the Galatians were doing. They were turning away from God and his gospel of free grace. Now we understand that Paul uses here two different words that are translated here in our text for the word another. In verse 6, he uses the word another, and in verse 7, he uses the word another. The New American Standard uses the word different in verse 6, whereas it also uses the word another in verse 7. You see it in the last phrases, for a different gospel, verse 6, which is really not another gospel. The first one in verse 6 means another of a different kind. Another of a different kind. So you are deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for another of a different kind, which is why the New American Standard puts the word different there. They're trying to show the nuance between the two different words that Paul uses for the word another in the Greek language. So the first one is another of a different kind. And then in verse 7, the word for another means another of the same kind. <clears throat> you're not you're turning for a one that is different, which is really not one of the same. So this is very important for us to understand and know so that we're not confused when it comes to the true gospel. The Galatians were turning to a different kind of gospel. A different kind of gospel, which was completely different from the one which Paul had preached to them. Now that is, that is not to say that it was not just a matter, uh, or, or that is to say that it's not just a matter of semantics here. I hear this oftentimes in evangelicalism as I'm talking to people around the country, as if somehow when you talk about the gospel and you talk about the nuances of the gospel, that you're, you're just splitting hairs on different details. You're just, it's just a matter of semantics. It's just a matter of how we're looking at it or how we're defining things. That's the kind of thing I hear in evangelicalism, and there's a very serious reality to that when it comes to matters of truth being discussed where there remains disagreement about those things. We cannot remain in this place where we agree to disagree. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. God means what He says, and we cannot just walk away 
satisfied agreeing to disagree about the truth. In other words, it was not Paul here and those who had come with a different message about salvation just placing a different emphasis on some little aspect of it, some certain separate part of the gospel that the other wasn't putting an emphasis on. That's not what was happening. No, Paul was challenging them because they were promoting a false gospel. They were saying his gospel was false while they were promoting their own false gospel, which verse 7 says is not another gospel at all. It's not another of the same kind. You notice in verse 7, he says further, there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I was thinking about this this week as I was studying this. And I thought to myself, how wonderful it is that you and I have mirrors on our car. You're thinking to yourself, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? Isn't it great that we have mirrors on our car? We use mirrors to see objects that are not in front of us. We have mirrors so that we can look behind us while we're looking a certain direction. And I have a mirror on the passenger side of my cars that says, objects in the mirror appear closer than they are. In other words, what I am seeing is not reality, right? How I am seeing the objects in my mirror is only a distortion. It isn't reality. Uh, They only seem closer than they are, but they're not there. They're, They're actually farther away than they actually seem. How thankful I am that God has not put such a disclaimer on his word. Aren't you glad of that? What you read is not exactly what it seems. Wouldn't that be sad if we had that on the Bible? Open this book, but what you read here is not exactly what it seems to be. There's more to it. Evidently, there were some people who had come in to the believers in Galatia and said, listen, the gospel that you heard about faith in Christ for salvation and in Christ alone, well, that's not exactly what it seems. Not exactly what you think it is. Things here are larger than they appear. You say, who were these people who came in? Who are are these who, who, who crept in there, who came in to distort the gospel of Christ? Well, we're not told. We're not told specifically who they are here in Galatians chapter 1. We're not even told as to whether Paul knew specifically who there were. I think he did. Maybe he just didn't want to say. Maybe whoever they were, they were causing, they were, no matter what it was, they were causing no small stir in the church. Paul says, in fact, some are disturbing you. The word disturbing in the original language is terasso. Terasso. It, it means to agitate, to stir up, to stir up vigorously, to, to agitate the, the water, if you will. So what was going on? Well, people had come into the region, right? We know who they are from other places in Scripture, and we'll go there in a moment. But they were Judaizers, those who had said that salvation was by faith plus effort, plus doing these details. Specifically here in Galatians, they wanted them to get circumcised. So they said it was 
faith in Jesus, but you had to do something else. And they had come in and they had begin, begun to agitate the people, to disturb the church. They were troubling the church. They were stirring it up, making a mess of things, coming into Sunday school classes and coming into the ministries and preaching something that was different. Now, I want to caution us here so that we understand, because there's a whole host of things that can disturb the peace among you and I in the church. But these agitators were doing something that was the most disturbing of all. What was it? One commentator put it this way, quote, The church's greatest troublemakers are not those from outside who stand against the church, Sometimes we think that the world's outside, the world's against us, the government's against us, we're going to be persecuted, all this other kind of stuff's going on. We think that's the worst thing that could ever happen. But listen, the greatest troublemakers are not outside the church. The greatest troublemakers are those on the inside who try to redefine the gospel. That's what was happening. Some were coming in and they were distorting the true gospel. In other words, they were taking sound theology concerning salvation, sound biblical truth concerning the doctrine of salvation, and they were twisting it. That's why Paul uses the word distort here in verse 7. Distort. Some of your translations probably use the word pervert. Pervert. The church was in a state of turmoil. It was in a state of doubting. There was mental confusion going on amongst the new believers because of these agitators who are speaking things that were not the true gospel. In other words, they were trying to take the true gospel and flip it on its head. The original word, by the way, for distort, perversion, is metastrepho. Metastrepho, it's a compound word. Meta being the preposition and strepho being the words. Compound word that literally has the idea of reversing, reversing it. That's what, the gospel, that's what their gospel was. Their gospel was a reversing of the true gospel. It was a going backwards, a going the other way. They're proclaiming a message that was opposite of what was true. And listen, here's the emphasis that Paul is making. This is the the emphasis that we need to have in our minds. If you take the true gospel and you change it in any way, any way, the slightest of change to the true gospel in any way, then all you have is justification by your own personal effort. That's all you have. And that so-called gospel will not save It all simply just becomes your own effort. Now, here we are in the church, right? We we, we go to a church. We belong to the church. It's a a good church according to our estimation, according to our understanding. And and we preach the Bible, and and we, we, we understand the exhortation by the Apostle Paul. We understand we need to be careful. But if we're honest, it's not always easy to identify. It's not always easy. In fact... If you had been living in Galatia during the time, you need to ask yourself, as you're looking at this, would I have been able to identify the true gospel? We need to just think about that for a moment. 
the gospel that they were now hearing must have sounded pretty good. Must have sounded pretty good. I mean, Paul was the one who shared the gospel with them the first time, and now they're they're not just totally abandoning everything about it. They're just listening to these other people who are adding to it. So it must have been pretty good since these Galatians, even though they were new in the faith, were willing to embrace it. Paul called it a different gospel in verse 6. But it must have sounded so good that it sounded like good news. It sounded like it should be embraced. It sounded like the real thing. After all, those who had come into Galatia with this different gospel weren't saying they weren't part of the church. These were baptized members of evangelical Christianity in the first century. They were saying, in essence, the same things. They were saying, listen, brothers, listen, sisters, we believe the same thing. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They would have said the same thing. We believe that He is the Savior of the world. They would have nodded, yes, we believe that. We acknowledge that He's the Chosen One of Israel. Yes, we believe that too. We believe that He died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. Yes, we agree. We agree that you must repent. We agree that you must embrace Jesus Christ by faith to be saved. We're all saying the same things. Listen, they were using all of the same terminology that we do. They were preaching salvation in Christ. All they wanted to do was just take it a little bit farther. That's all they wanted to do. Just take it a little bit farther. Go another step. Let me show you how this was happening. Turn back, if you will, back to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. The Apostle Paul has been out doing his missionary journey for quite some time. He's been in the Gentile areas. He's been sharing the gospel. Word has gotten back to those in Jerusalem, the Jews, that this is going on. They're wondering about it. And so in chapter 15, it says, And some men came down from Judea and and began teaching the brethren. What were they teaching? Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These are Judaizers. That's what was happening. When Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Right? So some had come in, they got this other gospel. They said, we believe all the same things. We're just going to take it a little farther, right? You got to be circumcised under the circumcision of Moses. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. That's a whole different gospel. That's not a gospel of the same kind. That's a a gospel that won't save. And they had this dissension going on among them. Okay, let's try to solve this. Let's go to the higher-ups in the church, the apostles and elders that are in Jerusalem. Therefore, verse 3, being sent on their way to the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren as they're traveling. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. And certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, and they were saying, 
It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the laws of Moses. There's the same ones. The Pharisee group, the legalistic group, and the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after they had been much, there had been much debate, Peter stands up and he says to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us also. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. And all the multitude kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answers and says, Okay, brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Now, therefore, it is my judgment that you do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what has been strangled from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations in every city who has preached him, since he has read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, you see why they told him to do that? They said, listen, they need to abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from things strangled by blood. Why? Because Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him. Every city has someone who preaches the law, and we don't want to be, for any sake, some hindrance upon them hearing the gospel. That's why they told them that. Because Moses is preached in the synagogues every Sabbath. Not the Lord Jesus Christ, but the law of Moses. And so it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, they sent the letter. And the letter, beginning in verse 23 all the way down through verse 29, says just what James said. When they sent them away, verse 30, they went down to Antioch, having gathered the congregation together, and they delivered the letter. And it was, when it was read, they rejoiced because it was an encouragement. That's what was happening. That's what was happening in Galatia. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. That's what was taking place. Someone was coming in and just wanted to go a little bit farther with the truth. That's all they want to do. Just take it a little bit farther. Just add a little bit of the law. You can't be saved unless you add a little bit of the law. So this is why Paul is so stunned in verse 6. These Judaizers want to add something to the gospel. They would have certainly said, listen, Paul's gospel is good. It can set you in the right direction, but it isn't enough. You need to do fill in the blank, whatever it is. Nothing's new, beloved, because you have 
many a different gospel today in the church. Let me ask you a question again. If you lived in Lystra, if you lived in Iconium during that time, could you have seen the trouble in what they were saying? Could you have identified it, pointed it out? And I'll ask maybe more importantly, can you tell the difference between the true gospel today and all of the other false gospels that try to creep into the true church today? You may not have noticed, but the evangelical church in our day and age has many gospels. You say, really? Which ones? Well, there's the gospel of personal gain. What's that teach? It teaches that Jesus is the way to health, wealth, and prosperity. That's a false gospel. It says that within you, I heard this just this week, within you, God has placed all you need for personal success and happiness. Within you. By the way, that person has 28,000 people in his church that hear that false gospel every week. There's the gospel of family. Family, where family and its values are above everything. They're even above Jesus. His priorities are secondary to family. In fact, Jesus is the way to a happy home. Of course, there's the gospel of self. Just believe in Jesus and all your desires for personal fulfillment will be met. Or the gospel of morality. Believe in Jesus because that's the way to be a good person. Just believe in Jesus. Or the gospel of religious tradition. This is how we do things. Jesus wanted it to be done that way. Religious traditions that never go away. Now, what makes these so dangerous? Well, what makes them so dangerous is that all of them bring something that's beneficial. Right? Who would argue against having a happy home? Who's going to argue against that? Who's going to say, well, that's really not what Jesus wants? Who's going to argue against moral, upstanding life? I remember years ago counseling a couple in Ohio that had come to me for marriage counseling. The man was sitting in front of me, and I said, what do you hope to get out of this? He said, I just want my happy marriage back. I said, then you want the wrong thing. He was shocked that I said that. What do you mean? God doesn't want me to have a happy home? I said, oh, surely God would give you a happy home, but God wants a heart that serves him and him only. Until you do that, you'll never have a happy home. Who doesn't want a family with family values? And they're the most virtuous and nurturing. No one would argue against any of that. The problem lies in the fact that when these become the way of justification before God, when they become the standard by which your spirituality is measured, then we are deserting the only true gospel. Several years ago, Nearly two decades ago now, a book written by Ray Ortland Jr. called A Passion for God. He tried to put it into words what a church might look like without the true gospel. And he asked the question, he asked it like this, what might 
evangelicalism today in the world look like without the true gospel? He says, would we have to... We would have to replace the centrality of the gospel with something else. Well, what would that be? Well, he says we would have to preach and write and have radio programs and Sunday school classes and Bible studies that would talk about things like a devotion to pro-life issues. We talk about the drive toward church growth strategies and how to make your church bigger and better. We talk about things that concern the institution of the family, or maybe a clever way to appeal to people by offering them a cost-free Christianity. Or maybe just a, we just talk about a determination to take America back to its Christian roots through political activism. Any of that sound familiar? That was Ray Ortland writing some two decades ago, and he seemed to be speaking about just what we're looking at right now in the evangelical church. Pro-life causes become the number one thing, and now certainly we want to save young, unborn children, but that can't be the main issue. Certainly we want to see families grow, but that can't be the main issue. Certainly, we'd love to see America be a Christian nation. That can't be the main issue, particularly through politics. Many have defected from the true gospel for the gospel of social justice, the gospel of critical race theory, the gospel of pro-life causes and family first. Even the gospel of personal willingness to sin in order to avoid personal suffering. I'm willing to go and sin in order to avoid any kind of maybe personal suffering that might come to my life if if I go and do what God has commanded me to do. That's a different gospel. That ought not be in the church. Unless we keep the true gospel central in the church, we will be in danger of something else taking its place. And let's be warned, the danger is not the anti-gospel being preached by the world outside. That's not the danger. The danger is a counterfeit gospel being embraced on the inside. This is why the Apostle Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 to 31, I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things in order to draw away the disciples after them. He says, be on alert. Or Paul in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. I think Paul was even thinking about the church in Galatia. They come in with smooth speech. 
They don't come in with shirts freshly printed that say, hi, I'm a false teacher. They don't do that. They come in using all the same words, the same terminology. They come in preaching and teaching a different gospel, even though they use the same words and the same name, Jesus. Remember years ago being at Grace Church and being in a service that all the theological teachers from Brigham Young University came to Grace Church to hear Dr. MacArthur preach because they said we serve the same God. They had read, one of the professors had read one of his books and wanted to come and meet them and talk about this gospel that he talked about, saying we believe in the same Jesus. And so they met with him for about five minutes. That's all it took. Five minutes, he met with them and said, I just want you to know we don't believe in the same Jesus, even though you spell it, J-E-S-U-S. It's not the same Jesus. Because you don't think he's God. He said, well, no, we believe the same things. He says, you cannot believe the same things and have a Jesus who's not God. So when you hear some teacher on the radio or some teacher in the church talk about the gospel, and they never mention sin or the true repentance that comes, be cautious of the message. Be cautious. Or when, as years ago, we heard in the Roman Catholic Church that they signed a statement that says Christians are justified by faith in Christ, but they never specify that justification comes by faith in Christ alone, you hear that? Be cautious. Be cautious. Or when you hear some theologian who calls themselves evangelical and then goes about teaching the lies of critical race theory or social justice, be extremely cautious. Why? Because they may seem like the most genuine person, they may seem like the most nice people, and surely they probably are from a worldly perspective, but what they say is they say something that is contrary to what is true. They may even say they believe in Jesus, but who is the Jesus they really believe in? Is he the Christ who is the God-man? Is he the Jesus whose death on the cross is the only atonement for sin? Is he the Jesus Christ who will not not only seek and save the lost, but will also come to judge the living and the dead? See that Jesus? See the Jesus Christ whose righteousness is the only righteousness that God expects? Listen, not everyone who claims salvation in Christ knows Christ. Not everyone who claims salvation in Christ knows Christ, and not everything called the gospel is the gospel. Listen, it is not words that save. It is Jesus Christ who saves. There is no other gospel than the one that Paul preached. And to prove his point, he says in verses 8 and 9, even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, 
If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. Paul includes himself, he includes angelic beings, and he includes anybody else who's doing any kind of preaching. Obviously, Paul is speaking in a hypothetical way here. He's drawing a hypothetical situation. Why is it hypothetical? Because no true gospel preacher would ever knowingly contradict the true gospel. Paul was a preacher of the true gospel. Every holy angel would speak the true gospel. So hypothetically speaking, if either one came and preached something different, then it isn't true. It's a false gospel. Now that highlights something for us very interesting, especially in our day of Christian celebrityism. Notice that Paul is saying that the status of the messenger, Paul is a, an apostle, right? That's what he says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul's an apostle. An angel is from heaven. They're perfect beings. So Paul is saying, notice, that the status of the messenger is not what makes the message valid or true. Think about that. In our day and age of celebrityism in Christianity, it is not the status of the person that makes the message valid or true. In other words, who they are and how many letters they may have after their name doesn't matter. How long they've been in the position doesn't matter. Their position or the number of followers and crowds they can gather doesn't matter. What matters most is the content of their message. Listen, we cannot judge. In fact, we must not judge the gospel by who it is who is preaching it. We cannot. Rather, we must discerningly judge the person by the gospel they preach. This is what saddens us so much in evangelicalism, even in our day as we see people not finishing well. Because we've heard good things before. We've heard things that are true according to the Scriptures. We've heard things that are right, and we resonate with that, and we agree with that, and yet someone takes a step in the wrong direction, and they continue in those directions. We cannot continue to follow that, regardless of who they are. It is the content of their message that matters. Anyone who preaches any other gospel, Paul says, is a curse. They are anathema. Anathema means something that is set apart for destruction. That's a strong word. Let him be accursed, verse 8. Verse 9, let him be accursed. Something set apart for destruction. To be anathema is to be under a divine curse. So what is Paul saying? 
He's saying that if he preaches anything, Paul came and preached anything other than what he has preached about faith in Christ alone, by the merciful grace of God alone, then he is to be damned. That's what he's saying. He is under the eternal wrath of a holy God if he does that. So Paul is giving us a vital principle here, a vital truth that needs to be applied to all forms of modern-day Christian communication, right? Preaching, writing, broadcasting, social media, whatever it is, is what is being said consistent with the true gospel, or is it some kind of mixture? Because if it's a mixture, it doesn't matter who's saying it, it needs to be rejected. It needs to be rejected. And if that person continues down that road without any kind of change, then they too need to be rejected. It doesn't matter who they are. That's why Paul says in verse 9, I, I've said this before, so I'm going to say it again. If a man is preaching, if he's in the active duty of preaching, Paul says, if I came after the fact and I preach, or if an angel came and preached after the fact, something contrary to what we already preach, we're a curse. If somebody's in the active process of preaching a gospel contrary to that which what you received, not only what we said, but what you embraced, let them too be accursed. Paul says in verse 10, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Right, That's the question. That's the question. This is the question that each and every one of us needs to ask. Whose pleasure are they seeking? In fact, ask it of ourselves. Whose pleasure am I seeking? Paul's opponents said that he was a man pleaser. That Paul just said what he said simply because he wanted to please men. He wanted to garner a crowd. He wanted to get all the followers he can. He, he said what he needed to say on his Twitter page so that he got as many followers as he could get. He would say whatever he needed to in order to be popular. That was the accusation against Paul. He said that all Paul cared about was his own reputation. Of course, none of that was true. His words in verse 10 show it. Why? Because those are hardly words in verses 8 and 9 that would be pleasing to men. Hardly the words of someone who cares about what people think of him. Think about what his stand on the truth brought. It brought him no little trouble in his life, that's for sure. It's no different today. Anyone in big evangelicalism what do I mean by that? I mean the celebrity mindset that we have in evangelicalism today. Anybody in big evangelicalism who takes a stand against all forms of error, they're not popular. They're not popular. And they face any number of different kinds of floggings. Some have lost their jobs at seminaries. Some have lost their pastorates in churches. Most are marginalized as being non-relevant. They don't get to participate in any kinds of discussions around any kind of substantive matter when it comes to the Bible. But because they stand with the Lord, none of that really matters to them. 
They're standing with God in truth. Doesn't really matter. So that's the question. That's the question we have to answer. For whose pleasure do we seek? Whose pleasure do we seek? That's what Paul's saying. Who am I seeking pleasure for? Men or of God? If we try to please ourselves or other people, then we're living by a different gospel. Why? Because pleasing God and pleasing others are mutually exclusive. You can't do both. Not in that way. The gospel cuts. The gospel separates. The gospel divides. You can't follow your own ambitions and follow Christ. This doesn't happen. If you're unwilling to stand alone as a Christian, then you have to rethink whether you're willing to pay the price. Paul's saying, listen, standing with the true gospel is going to cost you everything. Why? Because the gospel is much bigger than a bigger check. It's much bigger than a nice job. It's much better than a new relationship or some other personal achievement. It's knowing God. It's knowing God through Jesus Christ and living for God no matter what. That's what Paul's saying. Gospel doesn't tell us how to please God by our efforts. Not what it tells us. No, it tells us that God is already pleased. He's already pleased with us through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, and by faith in His Son, He brings us into the His pleasure. That grand relationship of the Father and the Son, that the Father sends His Son, the Son dies for the glory of the Father, and the Father grants His glory to the Son again, and we are wrapped up in that love relationship between the Father and the Son. We understand that. It's both liberating and freeing. Right? Liberates us from trying to please others. Frees us from the work of earning His favor. We're already, through Christ, we already have His eternal love. What more could we get? We don't need anything else. That's the true gospel. That's why it's such good news. That's why Paul is so shocked that they're following after this. They've left the grace of Christ for something that will not save. He's stunned at that. It's like a cancer patient throwing out the only medicine that will cure them. Why would you do that? That's why Paul's going to say in verse 11, I I want you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. It's not how man would dream it up. This is not how man would do it. This is not how man would think about saving himself. Man would think about saving himself by saying, okay, yeah, Jesus is pretty good, but we'll add something else to it. That's what Paul's trying to get to. Saying, listen, the gospel we preach wasn't like that. It's not like that. Why? Because we didn't receive it from man. I received it through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Why would you leave a different gospel? Why would you take a gospel that's not a gospel at all? Stop listening to those who distort the gospel. Stop listening to them because you think they're somebody. Listen to the content of their message. Judge them by what they say in the content of their message. Oh, that we would be like Paul, who simply is following Christ. He's just saying Christ is everything. No matter if I have to stand alone, Christ is everything. 
The true gospel, beloved, gives us the power and the freedom to finish well. Gives us the power and the freedom to finish well. We'll we'll get to more next time. Rapid fire shotgun tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again just for helping us understand that. Helping us not be confused in these days in which we live where so much seems to be confusing the church. People who are in high places, high profile pastors and theologians that say things that are so contrary to the truth. It's confusing, confusing to your sheep. Lord, help us to be discerning in that way. Help us to stick closely to what your word teaches. Never to be easily drawn off by some foolishness. Help us to be critical in the right way. Critical, analyzing what is being said. Thinking through it and the implications of that so that we can ensure that we're following the true gospel. We know that you'll be honored in the end through it all. We just want to stand with you, even if that means we are alone. So help us do that with diligence, with humility, with your grace, that others might see Christ in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.